Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. I'm going to dive us into Matthew chapter 6. If you have Bibles with you, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you want to Get your Bible open to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching the Lord's Prayer. We've mentioned this several times already, but I'll I'll mention it again. He really teaches it twice. Once, he teaches it when the disciples ask him to teach them to pray. But this is not that occasion. This is a different occasion called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching crowds of people here, and in the midst of many other things that he teaches, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus that we have in the Bible, and amongst many other things that Jesus teaches these crowds of people, he teaches them a model or a pattern for prayer, and that's what the Lord's Lord's Prayer is. Now, as we dive into today's message, what I'm going to tell you is This part of the message, this part of the prayer, I feel like it's kind of understated for most of us. Not not the way Jesus taught it. He taught it as an equal part of the entire Lord's Prayer. But in our hearts and minds, we sometimes, I think, tend to downplay these final two petitions in the Lord's Prayer Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I feel like if it was us teaching this part of the prayer, it would be like one of those drug commercials that you see on TV. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So on through the whole Lord's Prayer, and that would be, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. You'd go through it because it's the small print. Now, I'm not saying it is the small print, What I'm saying is that sometimes this is the part of this prayer that we find difficult to absorb because maybe this is not why we came to Christianity. When I was 16 years old and I became a Christian, it was because I needed the peace and the comfort. I grew up in in a home without Christ. And I did a lot of foolish stuff in those first 16 years of my life. I needed to hear about Jesus' forgiveness, about God's grace. I needed to have that peace and that comfort. And so it's, it's sometimes easy for us to blow up this whole idea of grace and forgiveness because this is the big idea of Christianity. But Jesus in these two petitions tells us there's another side to Christianity, a counterintuitive side that while he wants to give us peace and comfort in our hearts, he's going to dial up the challenge button in our lives. I want to show you a video clip. We battle against the world, the flesh, and unseen forces in dark places. Therefore, train yourself to be godly. Guard your heart. Prepare your minds for action. Take every thought captive. Resist the devil. Demolish strongholds. Stand firm. 1 
persistent prayer. Fight the good fight. When you think of Christian faith, is that the first image that comes to mind, that you just got involved in a major battle? Because the Bible makes it clear that you did. When the Holy Spirit drew you to faith in Jesus Christ, he also made Satan your enemy. There's a reason Jesus says at the close of this prayer to reconnect us to, to that very first phrase, our Father. There's a reason he, he is saying this now. He's saying, don't let anything connect, disconnect me from your love, Father. Protect me against temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Let's start just by reading this together, will you? Uh, right at the top of, of our notes, here's the last two petitions. I want, uh, let's read them out loud. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In less than three weeks, there is going to be a titanic battle happening in Las Vegas. Does anybody know what it is? Floyd Mayweather, who has never lost, and he's fought, I think, in four different weight classes, and he's never lost once, is going to be pitted against Conor McGregor, probably the greatest mixed martial arts fighter of all times. He hasn't won every fight. He, out of 24 matches, has lost three times but he is an unbelievable UFC fighter and is the current UFC champion. These two are gonna go at it. And I here today am inviting every one of you to help train them. I want you to get into the ring and you can, I'll tell you what, I'll let you choose. You can choose Floyd Mayweather or if you want, you can choose Conor McGregor. Any volunteers? All right, there's some people that will do it. I love that. It'd be amazing to be in the ring, even if you would get crushed. And I guarantee you there's no one in this room, I don't think, that would not get crushed. Here's the deal. When the Holy Spirit transforms your heart and turns you into a Christian, you just raised your hand to go against the spiritual equivalent of Floyd Mayweather or Conor McGregor. Now, how many of you realize that? How many of you realize today that you got yourself into some spiritual war that Satan is coming after you? We have to understand this is a part of Christianity that we, we may not often talk about or think about because we are dialed into the peace and comfort of the gospel, as we should be. 
Because that is the main message, the cross, the empty tomb, what Jesus has done to win our forgiveness. The fact that every day, no matter how many times you fall, Jesus takes you and picks you back up again and says, there you go, on your way, you're forgiven. Go forth. I love this. (laughs) Julie and I were in uh, vacation. This is one of the things you can do. After all the kids are gone, you can save up a little bit more money for vacations. We decided we're going to vacation in Costa Rica. Now, let me tell you what word I saw a lot on the highways as we were driving the highways of Costa Rica. It was this word, adelante. Anybody know what adelante means? Forward. Forward. That's what Jesus does for us. He sets us on our feet, and he says, Adelante, let's go. Keep moving. You're forgiven. You're clean in in my blood. Let's move forward. That's the main message. But today, we're going to talk about the flip side of that message, which is that when Jesus does that for us, we've made an enemy. And we need protection against this very powerful foe. Take a look at what it says in Ephesians 6, 10 to 11. By the way, if you want a passage that talks about how to fight sin and temptation and how to to gear up for spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10, no better place in the entire New Testament. Let's take a look at what it says. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's one of the things we need right there to fight Satan. We need to be strong. We need strength. Now, how does that happen? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, what what are those last words? The devil's schemes. You know what a scheme is? Yeah, it's trickery. It's deceit. Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies. And he will do whatever he can to take you off guard. Do you think Floyd Mayweather is ever going to maybe throw a shadow punch and then come this way? He absolutely is going to do that. I guarantee he will do that. And Satan is constantly doing that to you and to me. Every sport does it. Football does it. Basketball does it. Baseball does it. Misdirection. And Satan, Satan is the master of this. He's going to come at you from all sides. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at you. Because he does not want anything for you but your ultimate death and destruction. Please believe he's real. I I pray that every person in this room has not been convinced by a modern culture and society to think of, uh, of Satan as some CGI fictional movie character. He's real. He's powerful. And as Paul says, he's coming at us with 
his schemes. And God wants us to be able to take our stand against those schemes. Now that, as we already said, is going to take strength, but it's going to take two other things. And these three things are the things that I'm going to talk to you about today. And let me tell you why. But first, I'll give them to you. First of all, you're going to need wisdom. Second of all, you're going to need humility. And third of all, you need that strength we talked about. Now, here's why. When I wrote my email this week, if you saw it, you've already heard this. But if you haven't signed up for the email yet, make sure you... That might be your next step today on your green card. What the email said was, I had looked at a survey, and the survey listed the top 10 things that tempt Americans in our culture today, and I listed those out. But that was not the important thing. The important thing was that it also said that three out of five people have no specific strategy to beat temptation. They have no idea what to do. They have no commitment to doing anything except, apparently, caving in to Satan's schemes. And so I think it's so important today that you walk away, and, and I, I hope to give you today some strategies for this spiritual warfare that you are going to be engaged in so that you know how to respond to Satan's schemes. And it's going to involve these three things. Let me say them again. It's going to involve wisdom, it's going to involve humility, and it's going to involve strength and power. Let's write this down. This prayer is recognition that we need help. We're not going to be able to fight Satan on our own, no more than we could fight Floyd Mayweather on our own. We need help. We need help against powerful forces, and this requires wisdom and humility. We're going to start with those two. Now, here's the thing. Comfort or challenge. It's almost like we're standing at a road and there's a sign. One side pointing to, here's the way to your comfort zone, and here's the way to challenge. The interesting thing, as I've said already about Christianity, is Jesus Christ wants you to have both. He wants you to have peace He wants you to have comfort in your hearts over the forgiveness of your sins and the eternal life, the eternal home that is yours. He wants you to have no doubts about his promises, hundreds and hundreds of promises of his grace that he makes to you, that he will be with you, support you, help you. He wants you to be in your comfort zone. On the other hand, he wants you to understand that with all that comfort will come challenge. And here's what we need to believe. That when we are drawn out of our comfort zone spiritually by God, when things happen that are difficult and hard, that that make us break in our hearts, sometimes break in our lives, that God is leading us out of that comfort zone for a reason. And, And to believe that, this is where the magic happens. To be out of our spiritual comfort zone is where the spiritual magic happens. It's where God really goes to work on us. 
Remember what we said about this series being one, that we want everyone not just to learn more facts about prayer, but to actually become people of prayer? I don't know about you, but I will, I will, I'll just confess for me that when I really get busy with prayer is when I'm out of my comfort zone. If I want prayer magic to happen, I need to be out of that comfort zone. Because when I'm in my comfort zone, I'm, I'm kind of secretly thinking to myself, I got this. And when I think I got this, the danger of that is maybe I don't need to talk to God so much. And so I'm not very wise in those times when I'm in my comfort zone sometimes. Now, I, I could be praying prayers of thanks. There are a lot of things I could still be connecting with God in when I'm in my comfort zone, but the reality is I don't. And that's why it's important to understand that God will draw us out of our comfort zone because the spiritual magic happens there, the, 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 the prayer magic happens there. And I, I just love the fact that God is like a trainer. Because he loves us, he is going to draw us out into areas that are going to stretch our faith, stretch our trust in his love and in his promises so that we learn to trust and lean into those promises all the more. Now, the first piece of wisdom we've got to understand is that it's just that. Christianity is not just a life of peace and comfort. So I want you to write... Write this down, and then I'll go back up to the passage to show you what I mean. God tells us that in our hearts, <coughs> we will have comfort and peace because of the gospel, because of the cross, the empty tomb, forgiveness of sins. We're going to have comfort and peace. But in our lives, as followers of Christ, we will have challenge and struggle. Remember what Jesus told his disciples or the one guy that wanted to follow him? And he, he said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but if you want to follow me, you're following the Son of Man, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, you must lose your life. That's the way you keep it. Jesus makes no bones about this fact that to follow him does not just mean peace and comfort. It does mean peace and comfort for our hearts, but it means challenge. It means struggle for our lives. Take a look at what Paul says. Remember, this is that passage where he's talking about how to fight temptation and sin. For our, what's that word? Will you circle that word? Will you underline that word? Will you star that word? For our, say it out loud, our, let's say it again, our struggle. Our struggle. There's a young man in the auditorium today wearing a wrestling t-shirt. I'm not, I'm not saying this to, to embarrass him. I wrestled. You ever want to get exhausted very, very quickly? Get out on a mat and start wrestling with someone that knows how to wrestle. Life, because of Satan, is always going to be a struggle. First piece of wisdom is to understand that, not to think, oh, I'm a Christian now. Things are going to be golden. Life is going to be a bed of roses. Wonderful. Christian, Christians get peace and they get comfort. Yes, we do, but in life we get struggle and challenge. And notice what he says next. 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, here's the second piece of wisdom you need. Your tendency, by the way, and mine, I'll confess it, is to look around me and say, my struggle's against my wife. My struggle's against my children. My struggle is against my boss. My, right? My struggle is against my coworkers. My struggle is against that rotten crosswalk staff God called to be with me. Thank you, God. Right? I mean, we think our struggle is against flesh and blood. What's Paul say? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? It means our struggle is against the devil and all his demonic angels that follow him, that obey him, that want to do his bidding and his will. That's where our struggle is, and it's real. God certainly tells us that in our hearts we're gonna have peace and comfort. But Paul, the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying we're also going to have, let's say that word one more time, struggle. Here's the thing. Oh my goodness. I love comfort. I don't know about you. At one of the hotels we stayed at, Every afternoon, 2 p.m., free ice cream on the, on the patio. Guess where I was every 2 p.m.? <laughs> six days in a row, we were at this hotel, six days, I went six for six, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> free ice cream? Like this cup, let me just describe this for you, okay? There was this cup, and there was chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. And this guy would just pile it high. And then the, over here, there were Oreo cookies and sprinkles. It was awesome. <laughs> because sugar comforts me. You can tell, right? <laughs> I delight in comfort. I delight in peace. I most naturally want to follow the signpost that says, here's the way to the comfort zone. I'm guessing most of us are that way. Very few of us sign up and go, challenge me. Make me struggle. Most of us are thinking, why can't life be a little bit easier? Why does it always have to be so tough? Why do I have to go through this and then this and this and this? Why is God piling it on? I mean, that's... That's, that's kind of how it is. Take a look at this passage, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Because I'm going to give you another piece of wisdom out of this passage. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Why do I seek comfort? Because I seek happiness. What's my goal in life? I want to be happy. Hey, the Declaration of Independence calls it an inalienable right to pursue happiness. If the Declaration of Independence says it, why shouldn't I be trying for it? But what does this passage say? Does God mainly want you to be happy? 
Or does God mainly want you to be something else? It's another H word, I'll tell you that. God is calling us not primarily to happiness, but to holiness. Why? Because for God, holiness equals happiness. Because he's a holy God. And he can only be happy when he's being holy. And he knows that ultimately, we're only going to be happy when we're holy. So he says to us throughout the Bible, he doesn't keep saying, be happy, be happy, be happy. Although, actually, he does say that occasionally. For example, this very Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, all the Beatitudes. Another way to translate that word blessed, a legit way to translate it is happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. But then when you go through those, you realize that they're all about being holy. If you want to deal with the struggles of Satan and not have them discourage you and and push you down and make you feel like giving up, because, because brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. It's one thing to become a Christian It's another thing to stay a Christian. And when you're on the mat every day with Satan and all his evil angels, there are going to be some days where you're going to feel exhausted and you're going to go, I did not sign up for this. Unless you understand that God's goal for you is different than your goal for you. And that, that a big part of the wisdom of, of overcoming temptation and sin is to understand that God is doing this to challenge us and shape us and make us more and more holy, more and more sanctified as we go through life. And he uses these struggles and the promises of his gospel dovetailed together to get us there. But we have to understand in our minds, yeah, this is good stuff. God God is leading me toward his goal for my life, which is holiness. Because he knows that the more holy I become, the more happy I'll become. I I want you to write this down. God wants us to understand his goal for us. We naturally strive for happiness. God wants us to strive for holiness. And here's the third piece of wisdom that you need. Leviticus 27, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Consecrate. That means set yourself apart for God. Dedicate your life to him. Devote yourself. Hernan, Captain Hernan Cortez. Anybody heard of this guy? Major conqueror in the New World, 1519. He lands in a little city called Veracruz. Anybody know where that is? Atlantic shore of Mexico, beautiful little city. He lands there from Europe. And he says, guys, we're going to conquer this land. And we're not going back. You know what Hernan Cortez did? 
Yes, John said it. I saw his lips move. He burned the ships. Burned them. Why? Because as long as there was an option to go back, he feared that his men would want to go back. Now, what was the only way to go? Hernan Cortez could only say, and the men could only believe, adelante. Forward. I need to ask you, because Jesus says it this way, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, do you know how that ends? You are not fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, burn the ships. Consecrate yourself. Devote yourself to God, to Christ. Ask the Holy Spirit to take over your heart. And that really is part of what this prayer is. I know I'm going to have temptations. I'll be fighting them. I'll be wrestling the devil every day. So take my heart, Lord, and help me go adelante, forward, not backward. Don't let me grab hold of the plow and look back. Help me spiritually, Lord, burn the ships. So there's not even an option for me to think of falling away from you. Dedicate and devote yourself to the one and only who is the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Write this down. Holiness is to have a heart that is set apart for God. You can turn the page. Now, I, I give you some pieces of wisdom there. Why is it so hard for us to accept this wisdom? To, to believe, for example, that the Christian life really is a, an, intended by God to be a life of struggle? That he will tempt, that is, at times, God himself will test us to strengthen us so that we win? And that even though he has limited Satan by the power of the gospel, and by the power of his word, he will allow Satan to tempt us to sin? Why? And, and we struggle with gaining these, these pieces of wisdom. And I'm going to tell you it's because of what it says in Isaiah. Take a look at the passage that's right at the top of, of your second page. We all, like sheep, have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see what that's saying? That is saying that because of sin in your heart, sin in my heart, we have an independent streak when it comes to God. We don't naturally want to fall in with God. We don't naturally want to get in step with Jesus Christ. There is nothing natural about raising our hands and saying, Jesus, I love you. You're my savior. In fact, it's so unnatural that God in the Bible says that we are blind, dead enemies of God by nature. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned where? To God's way. To our own way. We're, we're, we're like that five-year-old. No, I want it my way. No, 
Don't tell me what to do. That's us with God. Now, I love what Mark Twain says. Obviously, that's bad judgment because God is God and he wants us to be with him because of his love for us forever. So it's bad judgment to say, I'm going my way when God is saying, come this way. I got a lot of good stuff for you. You know what Mark Twain said? Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. Think about that for a moment. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. As we go through life, we need to gain experience of God's truth and believe that when he says something is the right way for us, it's the right way, and it truly is. And when he says, even better, that when you've exercised bad judgment and gone the wrong way, that through his son Jesus, he forgives us, makes us right with himself through Christ's blood and righteousness, who cling on to that promise, brothers and sisters. Accept that grace by the Spirit's power. Cling to those amazing, gracious promises of God. I want you to write this down. Because we believe we can live independently of God, the way to holiness is through experience. And it's through experience of both law and gospel. We must repeatedly experience God's law so that we learn to grasp the wisdom of God's ways. That does not come naturally for us to think, oh yeah, God, that's a good idea. That's so unnatural. We don't, what it, you want to know one of the most discomforting, challenging thoughts is that God will allow a place for all evil and wickedness to be stored away and boxed up and shelved for eternity. It's called hell. One of the major objections to Christianity that I hear all the time is, how could a good God create a place like that? Well, he could create a place like that as counterintuitive as it might seem to you because he wants all evil, all wickedness out of the way for eternity. Makes sense to me, but it doesn't naturally make sense to most people. You see, Christianity in every way is, is a struggle and it's, and it's challenging. And so we need to repeatedly experience God's law so that we understand the wisdom of his ways. Secondly, we must repeatedly experience God's forgiveness. We have to learn to cling to God's promises, the truth of his grace and the peace that that brings us. You know what cool thing happens when you do this? It humbles you. And that's the second thing I, I mentioned. We need wisdom, we need humility. When you repeatedly expose yourself to law and gospel, it tells you exactly where you stand in God's scheme of things. That you are a humble sinner, but you are also a forgiven sinner. And humility does amazing things when it comes to, to facing down the devil's challenges. It does amazing things. Once you have the wisdom that we talked about in the first part of this message and you add to that humility, well, number one, take a look at this. 
When you're humble, this leads you to respect those powerful forces, that enemy, Satan. You see, no one goes to a fight too confident. Not a fight with Satan. I don't think you'd go to a fight with Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather, kind of like, yeah, oh yeah, I got this handled. No problem. Train? No, I'm not going to train. I'm good. Look at this. No one's going to do that if they're wise. You need to be humble. And God does that. And then that allows us to, to, to do what Peter tells us to do. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to... Looking for someone to... Looking for someone to... Let's say it real loud. Looking for someone to... Not bless, not gift. He wants to eat you up for real. He wants to destroy and demolish you. He wants you to die for eternity. That's his goal. We talked about God's goal. Satan's goal is your destruction for eternity. When you're humble, you realize that. When you're humble, you also realize that God has got some pretty smart methods. Like, he's God. What he does is, it's good. And even though his methods can sometimes be a bit painful, they're good methods because they are going to lead us to win. Consider it pure joy, James writes. This is the brother of Jesus. Grew up with Jesus. Knows Jesus probably better than anyone. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You hear that? I'm saying that because many of you in this room are facing trials of many kinds. I don't know what they all are, but you're facing them. What's it going to take for you to consider it pure joy? to constantly be challenged, to constantly be in a struggle, to constantly be fighting Satan and his temptation. James says, consider it not just joy, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's not for James just about becoming a believer. It's about staying a believer until you die and enter heaven. And that's going to take perseverance. Write this down. Satan tests us so that we sin. God tests us so that we win. Now, I promised I'm going to send you home with a couple of practical things on how to fight temptation. And I also told you, best place to keep coming back to. So number one tip is, keep coming back to Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, and pondering it over and over and over and over again. Maybe that's your next step today. Maybe you're going to write down on that green card, I will reread Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, until I get how to fight Satan. Here's what it says. Stand firm 
You don't have to cave in against Satan. That's the first truth. With the belt of truth buckled around your, your, your waist. Why the belt of truth? Because Satan is a liar. And what's the only way to fight his lies is with God's truth. Stand firm by knowing what the truth really is from the Bible. That's a tip. Very practical. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, protect your heart. How do you protect your heart? Knowing that you're forgiven. Knowing that Christ's righteousness is now yours. Knowing that when God sees you, he sees a perfect and holy child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the cross and the empty tomb do for all of us. Put that on. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know, every sport does this. They teach a stance. And it, and it looks a little bit like this. Notice the feet. Solidly planted, center of gravity right. God says if you want to be solidly planted, have your center of spiritual gravity right, keep coming back to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Lean on God's promises daily. That's another tip for you. Hundreds and hundreds of promises. Learn them, lean on them. Take the helmet of salvation. The battle's gonna take place in your mind. Know this. That's, that's where it starts. You need a helmet. And he says the helmet is your salvation that Christ won for you. You're a winner. You've already won. Satan can only try to trip you up. Put that helmet on. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three times, how did he rebuff Satan? With the word of God. You want to rebuff Satan? Notice how many times you've come back to this? And pray. There it is. Become people of prayer. Become people of prayer. When you're struggling, when you're feeling like the challenges are too much, when Satan is nipping at your heels or worse because he's a lion, be a person of prayer. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Guys, I want to close with this thought. No amount of guilt that you might be carrying through life can resolve your past. Please don't let Satan convince you to walk through life guilty and carrying the baggage of your past. No guilt can resolve that. And no worry or anxiety can do anything about your future. The only thing that can resolve your past and take care of your future is God's grace, is a relationship with Jesus Christ, is the forgiveness and the mercy and the love that he extends to you, not just once, but every single day. Drawn down from that cross and that empty tomb, 
That's how you resolve your past. That's how you go into the future. And leaning into that grace is how you become a person of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your son Jesus Christ and his grace. We thank you for the cross and the empty tomb. We thank you for forgiveness, new life, eternal salvation. Lord, help us to put on all that armor so that we can fight Satan. Lord, help us to be wise. To be wise enough to know that that life as a follower of Jesus Christ is going to have its struggles and its challenges as well as its peace, its joy, and its comfort. And Lord, help us to be people who are humble every day waking up to understand we're going to have to strap it on. We don't have the strength. We can only look to you. We need your help every day, Lord. And so, Lord, give us that armor and help us put it on by your Spirit's power so that when the struggle the struggles of life and the temptations of Satan come at us. We do not cave in to them. We do not cave in to the evil one, but we stand firm. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. These are the last two requests in the Lord's Prayer, but don't don't make them the small print. Don't rush your way through them. These are such critical prayers to pray every day asking for God's help, asking for God's wisdom, his humility, and his strength to fight back against the evil one, against Satan. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.